In today's episode, we interview Elena Joy Thurston, Mm -hmm. and she has a TED Talk, and I suggest everyone watch it. Yeah, you can find it online. It is called How I Recovered from Conversion Therapy. Yeah, fascinating conversation with her. Mm -hmm. Let's get to it. Let's do it. All right, be right back. Mm -hmm. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Tired of wasting time and money on starvation diets that lead to more frustration and stress? If there was a weight loss solution that could actually work for you, would you try it? Then head to Golo.com. I'm Steve. I lost 138 pounds in nine months on Golo. I'm Amber. I've lost 128 pounds with Golo taking release. If you're ready to take back control of your life, head to Golo.com now and see how Golo can work for you. That's G-O-L-O.com. My sleep is way better. My inflammation has gone way down. Golo saved my life. I was way overweight. That's what sent me down the path. I wanted to make sure and live for my kid. I have literally tried everything. I was on the verge of getting gastric bypass surgery, and I saw the Golo commercial, and it was the last thing I tried because it worked. Join over 2 million people who have found a better way to lose weight with Golo. Your healthier and happier life begins at Golo.com. That's G-O-L-O.com. Again, G-O-L-O.com. Hey, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Latter-day Lesbian, (laughs) the podcast about an ex-Mormon gay girl just figuring out her damn life Mm -hmm. during lockdown. Lockdown. (laughs) COVID-19. Yeah, we just heard on the news, I guess, yesterday. Of course, this will be coming out a week later. But the uh, social distancing has now been pushed out a month, so till April 30th. So I'm continuing to lose my mind. And uh, yeah, crushing it. Yeah, we're a couple of extroverts, mm-hmm. homebound extroverts here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the Zoom happy hour is just... It's not the same. It's, it's fun. Not. It's better than nothing, but it's not the same. Yeah, especially when you get a bunch of people on there. Yeah. It's hard to figure out who's talking next. For a couple I, people, it's, it sure. works. But yeah. But I really enjoy like the in-person energy. Yeah. Yeah. I do too. Remember that? I don't even know. I can't remember what that's like. I don't know. Meeting a stranger Mm -hmm. and then hugging after chatting for, I don't even know. I know. I was passing this guy in an elevator. So we have a studio space. We're on the ninth floor. And I was at the lobby level and starting to get into the elevator, not even looking in there. And there was a guy back there, like tucked in a corner. And I was like, oh, sorry. And he just had this terrified look on his face. Like, don't get in my elevator. You're going to give me a disease. It took me about three seconds to go like, oh, yeah, sorry, I'll take the next one. So I Mm -hmm. back out. But we just had this moment of awkwardness and of a little horror and both being terrified of being close to one another. Yeah, you know, sad. it is. And I also have found myself when we're watching just random TV shows and people are hugging or touching or getting too close to another, I get a little anxious. Mm -hmm. But then I remember, wait, this was (laughs) filmed like, Two years ago. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. I wonder what that's going to do to, I don't know, if they're going to be an outbreak, <laughs> so to speak, mm-hmm. of documentaries or whatever about COVID-19. I, I don't know. It's yeah. a weird time. Is America going to turn into the Brits that don't hug? <laughs> <laughs> no offense to any of our British listeners. Yeah, the only reason I say that is because British people have told me themselves that they're just very <laughs> stiff and very... Very formal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's probably a generalization. Of course it is. Yeah. So raise your hand if you are a very warm and friendly Brit. Yeah, all of our warm and friendly Brit friends. Let, let us know. Us know. <laughs> a little virtual <laughs> hug. Okay. Shall we get into the interview? Yeah, I'm pumped about this one. Okay, let's do it. So, Shelly, we have a special guest today. 
I want to introduce Elena Thurston. Is that what you want to go by, Elena? My website is Elena Joy, but in my regular life, yes, I just go by Elena. Okay. Because we could give you a new name. I mean, (laughs) I think she's maybe had that. We've been known to do that. Yeah, that's true. Uh, usually it's Elena T and then we give some fake name for the rest of it. <laughs> oh, funny. <laughs> like tries really hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Shelly has some notes here and she wants to ask you some questions. I'm going to jump into. It's not like I'm just going to be eating bonbons in the background. That's, no. She is. I'm going to be will. a full participant in this interview, but I'm going to let Shelly kick it off. All right. My first note says converting to Mormonism. So I think I remember that you were not born into Mormonism. Is that born right? Born into the covenant? I was not born in the covenant. That's right. How'd they get you? <laughs> so the practical side of the story is simply that I was a new kid at a new high school And those were the friends that I made. And it just became an easy way to have a social system and a community. I think the deeper side of it is that I had kind of a crazy family growing up, as many, many, many people do. I recognized there was a lot of dysfunction in my family. And I was introduced to this community and this religion that explained everything, right? A mom and a dad, and this is how you be a good mom, and this is how you be a good dad, and we're all striving for that. So that sounded really good to me. I liked all of that. Let me ask this really quickly first. Are you still an active Mormon? I do not attend church, no. Okay. But they still have your name on their record somewhere. They do, yep. Yeah, right. with a, a nice little asterisk by it. Mm, oh, I, I bet. I Yeah, we're going to get into that for what sure. What does the asterisk stand for? Um, It means that I'm a known homosexual, and so any ward that I move into, I'm not allowed to pray at the pulpit or take the sacrament or work with children, which is like 70% of the jobs for women available in the church. Oh, I wish you could see Mary's face while you were saying that, like jaw on the ground. Wow. That feels like when you are um, a known pedophile and that's on your record and, right. and it's known well, in your well, neighborhood. The, in the Mormon church, they don't necessarily put a pedophile asterisk on your things. No, but, they do not. <laughs> yeah, only the homosexual <laughs> things, you bad, bad woman. Wow. Well, let's back up because we just jumped hell of a head. Wow. And that okay, was, yeah, um, we're a little all over the place. Now Forgive that us. you listeners know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so th- they got you to go to church. Because you're in high school and you need friends. You kind of grew up in a, a relatively shitty household. From the outside, Mormonism seems um, like, you know, a family environment. Yeah. It's very loving, very kind. Absolutely. And uh, yeah. that's how they get you. Yeah, I have never met someone and told them that I am or was a Mormon and have them say, well, they're shitty people. The first thing out of their mouth is any Mormon I've ever met has been really nice. You know, that's the appearance. So you joined the nice cult. And then what (laughs) happened? That was in high school. I was 16 years old when I got baptized. I went off to college. I got a college roommate who became my very best friend. And she was living a really authentic journey to become the best person she could. And she used the church framework to do that. And I loved that. One of my core values is progress. I always want to become a better person than I was yesterday or last year. And so I really attached to that concept of, okay, you're going to give me a checklist and I can check off all the boxes. And that means I'm a better person than I was X amount of time ago, right? So I very much 
fell into that. Not fell. I dove into that. Box checking for progress can be a very satisfying thing to do. It really is. Shelly, I know you have a background in fitness. Mm -hmm. Like that concept of I'm going to track my weights and I'm going to track my load and I'm going to see on a piece of paper that I am now stronger than I was last month, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's satisfying. Satisfying and validating and all those things that I wanted in my life. So what were some of your boxes that you were checking then? So I made sure I was going to all my Sunday meetings. I was doing my calling. I was a stake missionary. And actually, when I was 19, I ended up going through the temple for the first time, not going on a mission and not being engaged, but just really wanting that next step in the progress. Tell me what you thought about that. I didn't have like the existential crisis that a lot of people do going into it. I really was diving into the symbolism When you think you're surrounded by symbols, you can find meaning in anything. (laughs) Oh, God. You want to hear a weird meaning that I found? And um, listeners, let this go after I say it because it's stupid, but I'm going to tell you. I noticed the lambs or the sheep that are there in the Mormon video, they don't have their tails cut like they would normally cut um, if you were going to shear a lamb. They all had their long tails. And so I thought that that was somehow symbolic of everything being new and fresh and undamaged. Because see, you you can make anything (laughs) make sense in your head if you try hard enough. Yes, you can. Sweet little Shelly. Mary's scooting farther away from Uh, me. I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) Just when you think you've reached the pinnacle of all the weird. (laughs) It gets weirder. It always does. The sheep mean it's true. The sheep (laughs) mean it's true. The sheep mean it's true. Oh, my goodness. God. Okay, sorry. That was a little little Shelly sidelined. Also... Recently, there was a beautiful sunset the other night here in Northern Virginia, and we were looking at it, just appreciating how magnificent it was. It was that vibrant. And Shelly said, when I was a Mormon, I would have thought that was a sign of the end times. Yep. Like, for real, she would have thought that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Because God is giving us all this beauty because he loves us so much right before it gets really hard. Yeah. Then he's going (laughs) to come back and kill a bunch of fuckers. Is that what it is? I thought maybe you saw, like, hellfire burning on the horizon or something. I wasn't sure. You can see whatever you want. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay, so you found symbolism, not craziness. And by the way, I didn't find craziness in the temple either, only because I think I didn't know what to expect. And all of my family were avid temple goers. And so it didn't cross my mind to question anything. I thought that what I need to do was accept and figure it out and have it mean something to me. So there was not even an idea of this might be whack-a-mole, you know? Yes, I was very much in that boat. So it's a strange boat to be in. Luckily, we got out of the boat. Oh, my God. We jumped. We jumped out. We're swimming. Before the boat went straight down like the Titanic, (laughs) I'm just saying. But you had mentioned you were a stake missionary. What is that? So that just means at that time it was organized on the stake level, which is where all the wards are organized into one stake, usually about Mm -hmm. six to nine wards per stake. So I operated on the stake level. And so any of those missionaries that you saw right out on the bikes with the white shirts, those were full-time missionaries and stake missionaries would be local members that would assist them. So I went to a lot of meetings with non-members and helped teach the lessons. 
It's not the same thing as going on a mission. Correct. I was a college student at Arizona State. I lived my life, and my church job was to be a stake missionary. Mm -hmm. I want to know, while you're being the stake missionary, were you all in? So I was definitely all in while I was a stake missionary. Your question is awesome because I actually really struggled before I got baptized. I started taking the discussions in the fall of my sophomore year, and it was nine months before I was baptized, which is a relatively long time for yeah. people who are investigating the church, who are looking mm-hmm. into it, because the missionaries kind of really pushed that you get baptized fairly quickly. Yeah. And they didn't for me. I actually had a really amazing missionary. He was from the East Coast, and he was like 27, which is very old for going on a full-time mission. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He had lived a lot of life, and he was just trying to do the best he could with the life he had, right? And so he was very real, which is hard to find among 19-year-old missionaries. (laughs) So (laughs) I really related to him and... I really struggled, though, when they taught me that gay people couldn't be baptized, Mm. not because at the time I was aware or cognizant that I was gay, but because I had a lot of gay friends. I had grown up in the theater community, and Mm. I considered gay people very close friends of mine, and it was really hard for me that the church would say, no, you can't be Mormon and be gay. Yeah. So did you ever adopt that? Opinion of, yes, being gay is wrong. Well, there's the crux of the conversation. (laughs) There it is. I was definitely there. By the time I was a mom of four kids, I was in my 20s and 30s and feeling like, okay, I'm a full-blown Mormon now. I'm not still learning everything. I've got these concepts down. And yes, you can't legalize gay marriage because that might put my temple marriage and my kids' temple marriage on the line, right? Exactly. So I'm not going to give you that. It's not a right. It's a privilege. And you don't get that privilege because it might step on mine. Exactly. And when I look at my life too, it's the same thing as you're saying. I didn't really think much about the gay issues growing up, but as I became like a for real Mormon, you know, did all my repenting, got married in the temple, and I'm like, Mormon. Yeah. That's when you really adopt everything they say. And in my mind, I was going to fight against gay marriage. Gay people were typically pedophiles and perverts. You couldn't trust them. They just wanted to have gay sex. That was all they were about. And we need to protect the sanctity of God's traditional marriage, right? Yep. Wow. Uh, Shelly, you sounded like a, a lot of fun. Oh, it was such a blast. <laughs> such a fucking blast. Wow. <laughs> We would have really hit it off back then. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I probably would have seen your boobs and be like, what if I'm wrong? I'm what so if it's conflicted. Okay? <laughs> you said a term that I'm not familiar with. You said started taking discussions. Yeah. So when someone who wasn't born in the church and is thinking about learning more about the church, The missionaries call it the discussions. And so those are just essentially lessons. Like you'll meet at a member's home and the missionaries will be there and they will teach you some church concepts. And that's just called the discussions. I don't know why. Shelly, do you know why they're called the discussions? Because they discuss with you, I guess. They show like (laughs) heart cell videos. They tell you like on day two, you need to get baptized. Unless you're a 27-year-old missionary and you have more sense about you. I don't know, it's just called the discussions. We have now had two Mormon phrases that Mary didn't know. Yeah. And we could have saved them for Foom Pots, but instead I'll just say, it's the fucked up Mormon phrase of the day. (laughs) Cue music in retrospect. Count it. 
<laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why they're called discussions. Who knows? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, investigators, kind of a weird term. Yeah, it is. they're called investigators. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I used to bear testimony that my kids were investigators and I needed to teach them the truth and be right? a missionary to them. What is wrong with us, Elena? <laughs> right? Like your God. most important convert were your kids. Oh, I hate us back then. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Okay, so, but we still have to get through the Mormon part of the story, which, you know, at some point you got married to a return missionary, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Okay. Did you get married in the temple? We did. Okay, so tell us about that experience. My best friend and roommate, she had sent a boy off on a mission, and she was convinced she was going to marry him, which she ended up marrying him. But at that time, we were so close. We were like sisters, and... She was like, okay, well, we got to find you a guy that I know so that we can all be friends. Oh, my God. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Which was very cute. But as all (laughs) of her friends started returning from missions, she would take me to their homecoming talk at their ward, right? And then we'd stay after for the luncheon. And I'd get a sense of whether I wanted to get with this guy or not. And that led to meeting Chad, my future husband. Back in that time, it was like the late 90s. So the missionary would give a talk about his mission, and my husband, his name is Chad, he had gone to Japan and had really embraced the language, and so he actually had a really hard time speaking English at the pulpit, so that was hysterical to me, and I Mm -hmm. thought it was just charming, and then their siblings or their parents will also stand up and give the rest of the talks for the sacrament meeting. Mm-hmm. And his younger brother gave the most hysterical talk I had ever heard. I was laughing so hard. And fortunately or unfortunately, I have a really loud laugh. And so <laughs> everyone in the chapel was turning around and thinking, who the hell is this chick <laughs> who's cracking up so much? We they loved weren't loud thinking laughter. hell. They weren't thinking That's the word true. hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mary doesn't really understand the whole mission culture. We'll have to do an episode about that because it's definitely its own thing for sure. I know it was probably a few years ago when Salt Lake announced that they were discouraging people from doing farewells or homecomings because Mm -hmm. people were skipping church to go attend that. Yeah. And they didn't want people skipping their ward. And I remember my bishop's wife at the time complaining in Relief Society about the stupid Utah Mormons who were making it so the East Coast Mormons can't have the stuff that they want to have. Oh my it's gosh. like, why do we have to obey the Utah Mormon rules? We don't have missionaries going out every week. We only have like, you know, one every six months. So we should be able to celebrate them. Follow the prophet. <laughs> right? I know. Okay, so you get married. I want to know, we're going to dive in. Were you physically, sexually attracted to Chad? Yeah, I went there. Yeah, wow. you went there. No, I was really physically attracted to feeling like I could turn him on. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. power there, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, for yeah. sure. And I really enjoyed that power. So if I'm going to talk about something that I was attracted to, it was that. I loved feeling like I could create an emotional and physical response in someone. Uh, but did I stare at his body and like want to be with him? No, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah we don't need to have the weird penis conversation. I think we've had that enough times. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say it again. Not everyone thinks they're weird, Shelly. <laughs> they are. Thank you. Thank you. To all of our male listeners, come on. They're weird. They get big. They get small. They flop around. I okay. Mean... I think everyone pretty much knows how they work at this point. And mm. if you don't, this probably isn't your podcast. I don't know. Oh, good shit. 
I had this like epiphany moment. I had been married probably 15 years at this point, And I was standing in line at a bakery with a good friend of mine from the ward. And she was complaining about her husband, right? Like that's often how women interact as they just kind of complain about their husbands. And I made some kind of comment like, well, it's not like anyone actually enjoys sex. (laughs) She looked at me and I laughed, right? Mm -hmm. And she didn't. And she looked at me and was like, no, Elena, some women do. Oh, my God. (laughs) My eyes started to open just a tiny bit at that point. Oh, okay. So at what point in your marriage did you start recognizing any kind of probability of gayness? Okay, well, to me, that question is two parts. Okay. At what point did I recognize my sexual relationship was not working? Mm. And at what point did I realize I was attracted to women? Because I stayed very, very deep in this concept of I'm broken and that's why I don't enjoy sex. God, we're like the same person. I swear, everything you're saying, I'm like, yep, yep. (laughs) I didn't realize I was gay. I knew I didn't like sex, but it must have been because I'd had sex before I was married. There's something wrong with me. Right. Um, I'll just stick through it. It'll get better. Having no idea there was some sort of lesbianism attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not like the Mormon religion encourages people to explore their sexuality. Of course. Right. Yeah. Of course, you're going to think there's something wrong with you. What other answer could there be? And I took that a step further by saying, okay, well, all of these Mormons were all presumably virgins when we get married, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have no concept of like, what's good sex? What's bad sex? How do you become a good lover? And it's not like you can go to church and learn that. No. Or even have conversations with other ward friends about how to become a good lover. So I just figured, okay, sex sucks for everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just not something Mormons are good at. And that's okay because we're going to heaven. (laughs) Where we're forced to have continual heterosex unless we end up in the Telestial Kingdom with our TK smoothies. A what? (laughs) TK smoothie. A TK smoothie. Which is not a foom pod. So a TK smoothie stands for a Telestial Kingdom smoothie. Meaning, if you only make it to the Telestial Kingdom, you're... Private parts, your reproductive parts become just smoothies like a Ken doll and a Barbie doll because you don't get to have sex unless you get to the celestial kingdom. Um, (laughs) Have you not heard this? Now you need to look it up. (laughs) It's true. TK smoothie. We just stumped a a fellow ex-Mormon. Is that considered a foom? Is that a common Mormon expression? Ex-Mormon. It's an ex-Mormon Maybe Mormon. I don't know. Either way, So it's the fucked up ex-Mormon phrase of the day. (laughs) Because we're taught, right, Elena, that our ultimate goal, our ultimate reward for being obedient in this life is to be able to live eternally with our husband and all of his wives and continue to create children, spirit babies, right? Is this what you were taught to? Yeah. And you're taught that when you get to that celestial kingdom and you get to that exaltation, that your body will be perfected. Mm, And so mm -hmm. to me, that meant, okay, that's when I'll enjoy sex because my body is broken. Mm. And that's not shameful. That's not, Not you know, oh my God, that is horrible. I remember being like, God, you mean I have to hang out with this guy for eternity? No offense, Brent, (laughs) if you're listening. Like in my mind, it was like, it's just me and him making babies. And that to me is like- With his other wives? With his other wives, obviously. What a shitty reward for being obedient. But I went along with it, just like you went along with it, you know? Yep. My reality was that my body was broken, I was broken, and that's why I didn't enjoy sex. But you fast forward 18 years into the relationship, and 
the vision I always used and that I could never really communicate was, can you think of like a cat, like on a screen door, like clinging to it? Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> kitty, so kitty. that was me. Like it turned out I really wanted sex, yeah. but I couldn't enjoy it. And so I was this massive ball of frustration all the time. Wow. I was that cat clinging to the screen door. So do you think it was sex that was actually lacking or intimacy? Or maybe both. Intimacy. Intimacy. Well, I think my body was craving physical satisfaction for sure. But my emotions were really craving a pure love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to throw this out there because I'm crass. Did you have trouble like having orgasms? And was that like the craving you were having, like that completeness? Absolutely. And it got to a point where... We were, again, probably about 12 or 15 years into the marriage. My husband at that point was making six figures. And there was a local business in town called Sexual Health Experts. It went by she. And you could go there and they had OBGYNs and they had therapists and they had people that could look at your hormones. Like they basically did a full workup. Like if your sex life wasn't what you wanted it to be, you could go there, get this full workup figure out what the problem was. And that was the whole goal was to help you be satisfied with your sexual world. And so I looked into it, of course, and I figured it all out and I figured out that insurance wasn't going to cover it. I brought the concept to my husband. Okay. We both know I'm broken. Maybe this place can fix me. How much is it going to cost? It's going to cost $4,000. Wow. Well, no, no, I, I don't think that that's the best use of those funds. Yeah, even though he's making enough money, he's getting off, so whatevs, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. Exactly. And that doesn't make him a bad person just for that. Like, that is very typical, right? Like, I don't think he got it that for 15 years, he'd been getting off. Right. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to not find that satisfaction for 15 years? Like, anyone who hasn't experienced that doesn't understand that. Exactly. And, you know, I know we kind of sort of bust on the patriarchy and and men sometimes, but these men that are raised in the church, they are broken as well. They just typically don't see it. Um, And so we can't be all pissed off at him for not getting it because why would he? I totally agree with you. Why would he? He had never been taught that a satisfying sexual relationship is integral to the success of your marriage. Right. Yeah, too bad the church can't figure out how to um, educate young men in that regard. And why would they? If you go back to the history of the church, it was all built upon polygamy. It was built upon a man getting his and women just dealing with it, you know? So even though polygamy currently isn't practiced on earth right now with Mormons, that attitude— Mainstream Mormons. Yeah, that's true. Mainstream Mormonism. I think that attitude just comes with it. It just does. And the other possibility, even if you didn't turn out to be a lesbian, is that possibly you just weren't compatible with that partner. And I think this is a problem with waiting to get married to lose your virginity. Yeah. I just, I don't think that's a great system. I think you need to have some experimentation to know if you're compatible with somebody. It's just part of it. Absolutely. I don't know if you've heard of um, Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So she's this Mormon woman. She got her doctorate at Boston University. But she actually did a study, and it was all based on Mormon women, and it proved that Mormon women who had masturbated as kids had way more happier sex lives as adults than the Mormon women who did not masturbate as kids. Like, her scientific, published, peer-reviewed study proved that. (laughs) 
Wow. Wow. Send that to Salt Lake. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. And and she's still like she's still active, at least last I heard. Mm-hmm. So I find that fascinating that like we can have science that proves that maybe we need to change how we're raising these sexually active people so that they yeah. can be happier as adults. Nah, God said don't touch the little factory, so we're stuck. (laughs) Don't damper. All right, let's talk about the moment that you meet the woman who probably will change your life from that point on. I love that moment. As I talk about in my TED Talk, um, I was at a point in life that I was running from my life. I got really into long-distance running, and I got really into weightlifting, and it was all in a in an attempt to control what I could control. And the Mm -hmm. only thing I felt like I could control was my body. Yeah. And I needed to shut down my racing thoughts. You know, I didn't like the thoughts that I was thinking because it was all questions about my life and questions about the religion and questions about my marriage and Mm -hmm. questions about who I was. And I couldn't deal with it, especially because my youngest had gone off to school. I was home alone all day for the first time in years. It's a little too much time to think, huh? Right? Too much time to hear the voices in your head, for sure. I was doing the CrossFit thing and I was doing Mm -hmm. the running thing and I still had too much time on my hands. I was also, I ran my own business as a professional photographer Mm -hmm. and I had a friend of mine who was into fly fishing and he asked me to give him photography lessons because fly fishing, you don't keep the fish, you always let it go. Right. It's called catch and release, right? Mm-hmm. You might spend thousands of dollars on a fishing trip, and the only thing you have to show for it is your pictures. So the pictures become really important to fly fishers, as I learned later. And so he was actually my running coach. He taught me how to do long-distance running, and I was teaching him photography. And I realized, okay, more and more of his friends wanted to learn, and I was getting kind of a customer base from it. And I realized, okay, if I'm going to be teaching these guys how to do this, I need to learn more about the sport. And so there's a local fly fishing club. And I went one night and there's about 150 old guys. And there was a break in the meeting and the board, right? The president, the vice president and everyone, they all try to go out and meet the new people to make sure they come back. Right. And there was one woman on the board. And so they were all like, you have to go talk to her. We're not going to go talk to her. You need to. And she was really pissed off about that. (laughs) So she came over and she tried to say something that would really offend me so that I wouldn't want to keep talking to her. Mm -hmm. And so she said, well, apparently only boobs can talk to boobs. So (laughs) hi. (laughs) I'll have to remember that intro. That's a good line. That's a good way to meet chicks Uh right there. (laughs) So I cracked up and we talked for like 10 minutes and I got her phone number because I wanted to go fishing. Mm -hmm. I'll say you wanted to go fishing. Mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, I texted her for like three weeks and then we went fishing and it all went from there. Hmm. Wow. I love this story because because it's so much like my own and I love myself. Um, <laughs> but it's so interesting to hear like these parallel lives, you know, the meeting the person. So I want to know the first touch, like hand on shoulder or, you know, what was it that you were like, oh my God, like what's going on? Yeah. Well, I started to realize, wow, I'm texting her like all the time. I'm talking mm-hmm. to her all the time. And I thought, oh, I've got this great new best friend. This is mm-hmm. amazing. And she really did like integrate into my life. And it was really 
great. And I felt so good around her. Yeah. I have two boys in high school and there was a high school musical and my husband couldn't come. And so Kristen got his ticket. And so we were sitting in the stands watching Oklahoma, I think. And um, I have a hard time with crowds as a lot of people do. And so as the crowds started like coming in and getting close I got kind of anxious and my knee was bouncing up and down. Mm -hmm. It was annoying everyone because it was making all the bleachers bounce, right? And she reached over and just touched my knee just to still it, to calm it. And it was just like electricity from my toes to my ears. Like it was just incredible. And that's when I realized, okay, Elena, you can't go any further with this because there's no way she could be attracted to you. And if you make a move, you're going to lose her, right? She's your friend. You need to do whatever you can to stop this emotion. You've got to shut this down. And that's when I started like, okay, I'm going to run eight miles today and I'm not going to stop until I don't feel this way anymore. Wow. Wow, You probably got a lot of exercise back in those days. (laughs) Yeah, I was really in shape. (laughs) (laughs) Which is funny because I became a lesbian and like gained 40 pounds. So, I mean, right? I don't... <laughs> yes. everyone figures it out on their own, I guess. Yes. Well, that's after you accept being a lesbian. Oh, that's is true. when the weight comes on. That's right? true. You become... <laughs> You're sitting on the couch eating ice cream. Yeah. Watching the L word. So, Shelly, this sounds like a good time for a break. I agree. We'll be right back. We are supported by one damn good brew, apostate coffee. Specifically, the Lesbian Medium Dark Variety, a delicious roasty, toasty blend that's sure to make postal workers in remote Mormon towns super twitchy. <laughs> yep, we have a firsthand account of that one. Sure do. This yummy java is roasted in small batches, so it's super fresh the moment it arrives at your doorstep. And hey, it's named after us, so that's reason enough to give it a shot. I know it. So ditch that grocery store crap and give the lesbian blend a try today at apostatecoffee.com. Mm-hmm. And we're back. Hello. Did you tell your husband the way you were feeling? No. And that's literally my only regret. Yeah. I wish I had the emotional maturity. I wish I had the mindfulness yeah. to be aware. Oh, Elena, you might be gay. And mm-hmm. that's not the end of the world. That is some hard shit to come to, though. When you, how many, how many years married are you at this point? 15? 17. 17 years married, family. Because you know that admitting you're gay, then you have to make a choice. You stay and you stay miserable, and your husband knows you're gay and it's weird, or you leave and your entire world falls apart. Yeah. Or you never tell them and you stay in the marriage. That's yeah. true, which is also miserable. And I'll tell you what, that has been the biggest outcome of me being out here doing podcasts and doing the public speaking, I get probably four or five messages a week from women. It's the middle of the night. They're typing on their phones in their closet and they're saying, I thought I was the only one. Oh, yeah. We heard that too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was shocked when yeah. we started the podcast, people writing in from like episode one saying, you're telling my story. This is yeah. my story. I thought I was the only one. I'm glad there are people like you, Elena, who will talk about it and get people to open up and live their authentic lives. Yes, right? And the biggest crutch of it is just taking off that self-judgment. Yes. If you can look at the situation, okay, I feel happier when I'm with her than at any other part of my life, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's just data, right? So if I remove the judgment, now I can make 
a decision on that based on the data and not based on the judgment. Right. Wow. That takes a lot of emotional maturity to come to, I would say, especially growing up in something like Mormonism, where that's never even an option to consider that you might be gay. It's just not a thing. I know in your TED Talk, you bring up conversion therapy. You don't talk much about it. Do you want to talk about that here with us? How did you end up there? Yeah. First, let's define conversion therapy. Conversion therapy is any therapy whose goal is to result in heteronormative attraction Mm -hmm. and to suppress the same-sex attraction. And with anything in life, there's a spectrum, right? On one end of the spectrum, you have really revolting methods of conversion therapy. You know, you've got electric shock or you've got showing people images of same-sex activities and then feeding them something that'll make them throw up, right? You've got those really physical things. And on the other side of the spectrum, you have well-meaning, loving people that you trust telling you, oh, it's okay. You're just broken, but you can be fixed. You just have to go to this person and pay him this amount of money and he will fix you. You're broken, but you can be fixed. Yeah. Wow. So that's what happened to you, right? Right. Okay. So lead us through that process because, you know, you meet this woman, you're attracted to her. At some point you decide, I need to be rid of this. I need to go to conversion therapy. Kristen and I had a very short but passionate (laughs) affair. All right. And um, my husband found out very quickly. I'm not good at hiding things, frankly. Oh my gosh. How did he find out? I have to know. How did he find out? He looked at my phone. Oops. Elena, come on. That's like 101. I know, right? <laughs> Jesus. I know. I'm glad you're not doing seminars on how to have an affair. No, no. Don't pay me for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So he found out and it had always been in my head. My marriage is not going to end because to me, a marriage ending is failure. Right. Mm, and yeah. I am not going to be a failure. Mm-hmm. So as much happiness as that affair brought me, it was never a question of if I was going to stay or not. I had to stay because I'm not going to be a failure. Right. Okay. Right. So if I'm going to stay, how do I make this work? And the very first therapist that I went to told me, don't you ever come out to your kids. It wow. will destroy them. Oh, man. And she gave me all these examples of current clients that she had whose parents had come out to them as kids, and now they're adults, and they're totally messed up, and they're totally dysfunctional. And that's what I would be setting up for my kids if I come out to them. And as I left that day, she said, for the good of your children, Elena, you need to take this secret to your grave. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Was this, by the way, an LDS Services therapist. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Why? Sorry, I'm about to go on a soapbox. Don't go to an LDS therapist because you will get shit like this. Yes. You're going to destroy your children. Are you kidding me? Let's put even more pressure on you. Let's put even more guilt and shame on you. Because as a Mormon woman, your entire life is pleasing your husband and your children. You have to be the perfect mom. And so now when you're finally telling people how you feel and who you are, they're like, no, 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 no. That will kill your children. You can never say it. God, that pisses me off. So was this, was seeing this, you know, quote, therapist part of the conversion therapy? No. So she was actually just the the first that I went to. My Relief Society president was like, okay, you guys need to go to marriage therapy. And I've got a great one. She's so good. Everyone goes to her. She saved Mm. so many marriages. So, of course, I went. And that's what I walked away with. And so the conclusion was I either need to figure out how to fix myself 
or I need to not be here anymore because I'm not going to damage my children. That's Mm. not an option. And so then it was another recommendation from someone to go to this other therapist. And of course I was in the repentance process with my bishop because the affair had been found out. And Oh my gosh. Did he ask you like sex questions about you and your girlfriend? Yep. Fucking bishops. Fucking bishops. I hate that it's like, we will decide just how bad you are from the, from the sexual information you give us. Who the fuck are you, bro? Yeah. Seriously. And where do they think it's their business to ask these questions? Is well, they're, they're judges in Israel. Uh-huh. That's right. And he prefaced it by saying, I need to figure out if you need a, a disciplinary court, so I need to ask you some questions. And it was asked, where did the sexual acts take place? Were they in your house? Were they in her house? Um, did you have an orgasm? Did she have an orgasm? So the woman... She wasn't LDS, right? So there's Correct. no involvement she with She was not LDS. Now, are you all still on speaking terms this time? Or have you you've cut her off completely? Sounds so dramatic, Shelly, the way you say it. It felt dramatic. Well, I'm guessing that they probably said you can't be in contact with her. Is that mm. right? That's right. And wow. did you obey that counsel? During my repentance process, I got this referral to go to this other therapist. And he sat me down and he was like, okay, well, we know that same-sex attraction comes from trauma in your past. And so (laughs) I am going to help you heal the trauma in your past so that you don't feel this attraction anymore. It should take about a month if you come a lot, if you come often. And that was defined as four days a week, two hours a day. Whoa. Yeah. So if you come often, we'll get this done in like a month. You'll be able to start the new year in love with your husband again. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You can do this. How did you have time to bake bread and do laundry and shit? <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't. Because <laughs> I would go for two hours and we would be processing trauma, which any therapy session is exhausting, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. And then I go home and I wash dishes and I do laundry and I help with homework. And, and then the next day I'm back and I'm oh. doing it again. I would like to find one person in the entire world who has never undergone any kind of childhood trauma. You know, it doesn't make you gay. And so that was the very first eye-opening, because a month went by, and then Mm -hmm. two months went by, and then four months went by. Wow. And I was still not attracted to my husband, and I was still dreaming about her every night. Mm. Yeah. And then the Brett Kavanaugh hearings happened. Ah, okay. All these statistics came out, right? And one of them was 75% of American women have been traumatized sexually in their past. Mm -hmm. And I finally made the connection. 75% of American women are not gay. Right. Which is unfortunate because that would leave us a lot more room for dating. Um, But yeah, and and that's that's why I would get frustrated when my dad will say, well, we know that you were, you know, abused as Mm -hmm. as a child. And it's like, who wasn't? Find someone who wasn't. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We should all be gay. I firmly believe we should all be gay, but we're not. And so (laughs) why? Because trauma does not cause gayness. Mm -hmm. And gayness isn't a choice, right? If it was, you'd have these women that have been abused and raped as children, hating all men for the rest of their lives. And they Mm -hmm. actually don't. They actually are attracted to them, even though they don't want to be. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. And gayness shouldn't be looked at as a consequence of abuse. It's so fucked up. It's a beautiful thing to be gay. And the other thing is, it's like time helps heal, and I've been traumatized too, and it doesn't mean that I have problems with all men. Right. 
I just don't like the guy that abused me. Yeah. So when did you decide to call it quits on conversion therapy? Was there a moment where you said, I am done, this is bullshit? I felt like I hadn't been able to say goodbye to Kristen because of how Chad found out. And, yeah, you know, the next day it was like a 30-second phone call. Chad found out, we're done, goodbye. Oh, God. It must have broken wow. your heart. Yeah. <sighs> it was months later, and I'm saying, I need closure. I need mm-hmm. to end this the right way in mm-hmm. order for me to go on. And so that was the first time in months, not quite a year, but many months that we had contact and we were in a room together. Chad would only agree to it if we were supervised by a mutual friend. God, it's like your dad. Ugh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I actually have told this part of the story before. Um, mm. We were sitting in her living room. Mm-hmm. We each had points that we wanted to make to each other. And we just started crying, right? Just breaking down. And we ended up holding each other. Then we eventually left. And I realized, literally as I'm driving away in the neighborhood, I realized that our mutual friend that was supervising had been texting the whole time. Oh, my God. And I realized Hmm. she was texting Chad. Oh, really? And that's when I was like... Yeah, I might be done with this. Wow. Yeah, you must have felt like your entire life was not yours anymore. Correct. You know? Wow. And that's not a safe place to be. No. No, 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 no. That was the moment that my eyes were opened a little bit and I realized I'm not okay with this. And that had been a phrase I had never been able to say before in my life. I am not okay with this. That's had to been either or probably a combination of scary and exciting all at the same time. Yeah. That was the first time I realized I actually do have a choice. Wow. Well, and I think people get to the breaking point where it's like, I either choose to be authentic or I'm not sure I can even continue living. Like it might get to that point for some people. Um, It gets so desperate that I've got to be myself. It gets to that point for 57% of conversion therapy survivors. Wow. Wow. You're driving away from the woman that you love. You're realizing that your friend is a traitor. You have no control and you've decided I'm making my own decision. Then what? My plan was I was going to take a month and not be in contact with either Chad or Kristen. I needed to like just figure out what I wanted without any other influence. I told Kristen what the plan was and she was totally supportive. And then I told my husband and I asked him to move to his parents' house for the month. He refused. He wasn't going to do that. I was already sleeping in the guest room. And so it wasn't clear where I was going to end up, but it was very clear that my intimate relationship with my husband was over. Right. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the marriage needs to be done because my children were watching a marriage with no intimacy. Yeah. And I didn't want that for them. I wanted them to grow up and have healthy, functional relationships, but that is not what I was modeling for them. Right. So it was at the end of that month that I realized, okay, a divorce needs to happen for the good of my children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's all I focused on at that point. How do we file? How do I get a lawyer? How do I do all of this? Wow. Mm -hmm. That's a lot to take on. Now, were you able to support yourself financially at this time? No. Mm. Not at all. That's, yeah, that's, I think, a really scary position for a lot of women. 
and maybe why a lot of them stay in, in miserable situations is because they don't know what to do. They don't know what steps they can take to start to gain financial independence and how they are going to support themselves. It's really terrifying. What did you do? Well, let me preface it with, I went into that situation confident because that fall, I did get to a point where I was suicidal and I was within hours of taking my life. Wow. I had the plan, you know, the thoughts were all there and that was the direction I was moving in. And luckily that best friend that I'd had all those years recognized it. And she wouldn't let me drive home from the gym that day. Wow. And that is what saved me. Absolutely. And I was able to get help because of that friend. I got into a psychiatrist like that next afternoon and I Mm -hmm. got help immediately. And that was incredible. It was finally pointed out to me, Elena, there's a massive downhill slide that you've been on for years. And this is where it stops. And you're going to be taken care of and you're going to be okay. And then the reconstruction of Elena began. And so fast forward to when the decision was, I need to leave this marriage. I didn't even conceive that I wouldn't be able to do it because I had survived. Oh, for sure. That's great. As long as I had my life and my kids had me in their life, all was good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's all good. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, what were your goals going to be or your trajectory towards financial freedom? Luckily... I had a very good therapist at the time, and she was like, okay, well, you can get a lawyer, and this is how you do that, and the state is going to make sure that you have some time to essentially rehabilitate your career options, and so you just need to come up with a plan. You need to decide, like, are you going to go back to school? Are you going to go work in an industry? You just need to present a plan, and the state will make sure that you have time to carry out that plan. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I went to very practical side of me and I was like, okay, I need an industry that is never going to go out of vogue, right? Where I'll always be able to make money. Well, what's that? That's healthcare because everybody's going to (laughs) die. I'm going to go into healthcare. (laughs) And then I did all my research and I figured out which part of healthcare I wanted to go to. I found a local school that would certify me in that. I applied to the school. I got into the school and then my body kind of shut down. I spent that month in bed. I couldn't get out of bed except for when my kids were home from school. And I finally, at the end of that month, realized, oh, I'm not supposed to go through with that plan. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So that was like a sign. Was that like more of a breakdown for you? So in the midst of that, I'm going through this divorce, right? And my ex-husband knows that I had had suicidal ideations and my ability to keep custody of my kids was on the line. Mm. And so in order to maintain custody of my kids, I did everything I could to keep my mental health. And that meant therapy every week. That meant walks every day. That meant journaling every day. That meant meditating. For the first time in my life, I started meditating and I started learning about mindfulness and I was taking my meds. I was still on meds and I was religiously taking them, even though they were so expensive. I was not going to lose custody of my kids. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would call it a breakdown. That happened, and I thought, I'm not as healthy as I thought I was. I don't deserve to have my kids, right? You go down that hole, and then to come out of it and realize, okay, no, this was just my body giving me guidance. Mm, yeah. Okay. Because I I wasn't used to listening to my body, right? Like, you turn right. that off. 
Yeah. You don't even see your body because you're in garments every day. Like, you have no connection (laughs) to your body. (laughs) That's so true. God. So true. So what did you decide to do then when you realized that this is not going to work? Well, at that point, I was involved with the post-Mormon community here in Arizona, and I would share my story, and it really helped people. I was recognizing that people needed to hear this story. And so then I went to a business coach, and I said... I have this story and I think it's important. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yep. Sure <laughs> she shit <was> is. Like, <laughs> you can start teaching. You can start doing retreats. You can write mm-hmm. a book proposal. You can do public speaking. Like she helped me figure out, like, I have the ability to help other people and make money at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great feeling, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. You must have felt so empowered. Like I'm taking my life that has happened to me and turning it into something that I want to do with my life. Yeah. You know, awesome. So empowering. Yeah. You took a story that was traumatic and turned it into something that was doing good for other people. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It felt like almost it was something I had to do because I was becoming more and more aware of the LGBT situation in the church Mm-hmm. And looking at Utah and looking at the skyrocketing suicide rate and thinking something has to be done because I know where those kids have been. Yeah. I know where they were. I was in that pit. And yep. if anyone can help them, maybe I can. Yeah. That's beautiful. So how did all of this turn into a TED Talk? Because uh, Mary and I have both listened to your TED Talk a couple of times and we love it. Tell us how does that happen and what was your experience there? I don't have a lot of strengths, but I recognize the strengths that I have. And one of them is I can handle being on stage. I can't mm-hmm. handle a budget, <laughs> but <laughs> I can handle being on stage. Give me a microphone, damn it. And someone else balance the checkbook, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I knew that I wanted to get into public speaking. I found one of the best coaches in the country for public speaking And she kind of laid it down as she only teaches one course once a year. It's a four-month course. And she teaches you at the very beginning, okay, if you own a business and you want to increase sales, here's what you do for public speaking. If you want to be a thought leader or an author, here's what you do for public speaking. And that's kind of the train that I was on. And so she's like, the very first thing you do is a TEDx talk. Like It's going to bring all the validity that you need to get that trajectory. Uh-huh. And so I spent gotcha. that four months developing a TEDx talk and then applying for TEDx's and I got in and it was amazing. That's fantastic. Wow. What a great idea. That's so cool. So what has your life been like since TEDx? A little crazy. Um, <laughs> so all of these different states and cities around the country are trying to get conversion therapy bans, which is awesome. And so many of those reporters in those towns contact me. They find me through the talk. So I've been able to do lots of media interviews, which is so fun. And I learn something from every interview, which is really cool. I really appreciate that. I get a lot of hate mail, which is interesting. I mean, join the club. You know you've made it when you get hate mail. (laughs) Right? Like from current Mormons? Yeah, Yeah, who's sending the mail? It's really funny because I'm sure you saw it in the TED Talk. I tried to keep every... You don't even mention the LDS faith. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, I tried to keep every nuance of Mormonism out of it. Right. And afterwards, a lot of interesting things happened. But one of them was people coming up to me saying, oh, you were Pentecostal, weren't you? Or you were Catholic, (laughs) weren't you? 
Well, uh-huh. you were Baptist, weren't you? Like mm-hmm. everyone put it into their own framework, which was yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So l- lucky for me, I get hate mail from everyone. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh, wow. There's enough hate to go around. <laughs> God, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting because all those fundamentalist type religions are so similar. That's yes. true. Yeah. The fact that they can all hate you equally just goes to show you they're in the same shit bucket. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And it's kind of nice to know, you know, when you grow up Mormon, you kind of take pride in the fact that you're different from everyone Mm -hmm. else, right? Mm -hmm. You're in the world, not of the world. And so (laughs) then you get to a point where you're like, now I'm an ex-Mormon and I'm so weird. Like there's even fewer (laughs) of us and it just is so weird. No one gets my life. And then to have your eyes opened and realized. No, there's crazy religions all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. So and many. There yeah. are so many. people that have left all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And that in the world, not of the world, is not exclusive to Mormonism. It's right. not. Mm-hmm. I thought we were special. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Sorry to break yeah. it to you. We're yeah. not mm-hmm. the special snowflakes we thought we were. <laughs> that's right. Oh, well, that's good. So what kind of public speaking are you doing now? My most popular talk that I give to adults is called Life 2.0, How to Love Your New Normal. Hmm. So it's all about having strategies to love your present situation, which is oftentimes very different from your old situation, and how to not lose yourself in that transition. I actually talk at high schools and at junior highs as well. And so I talk about emotional intelligence and how you can create it and grow it and how you can recognize the lack of it in others. And, right. and I apply it to bullying. Oh, that's oh, like great. That. How do you speak in the junior high schools and not swear? <laughs> it's really <laughs> hard. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my problem. If I ever got asked to speak at a junior high, I'd be like, fuck, I can't. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't clean my language up <laughs> enough. I'm just kidding. Yeah. But not really. How does mindfulness play into what you're doing? Ooh, good question. So I define mindfulness as the intentional observation of our thoughts and actions without judgment. And so it becomes a habit that you develop over time with daily practice. And I give you all these strategies for developing it. And once you're able to integrate that into your daily life, you're able to observe your thoughts and actions without judgment. You're able to observe your family's thoughts and actions without judgment, your community right? It goes on and on and it affects how you can make decisions to create a present reality that you actually really love. That's fantastic. So if a listener wanted to learn more, how does the individual take advantage of some of your services? Yeah. So I host a couple retreats every year. They have been absolutely amazing, life-changing happenings, which is great. Those are on my website. My website's elenajoyexperience.com. I'm also all over Instagram. I'm starting a YouTube channel. I try to put as much information out there as I can because my goal is literally, and this is a very lofty goal for one person, but it is what it is. My goal is to reduce the suicide rate. That's a great goal. I love it. Yeah. So I try to get as much out there as I can to prevent that and to encourage people to protect their mental health. That is fantastic. And that is something that I'm sure you were not taught in the Mormon church. I know I wasn't. Mental health was never even discussed. It was obedience. And when your mental health breaks down, even though they don't call it that, it's because you're not obedient enough. So good for you for recognizing that and using your life experience to help others. It's such a great way to give back and to show gratefulness you know, for your life. 
Yeah. And it's what you guys do. Like we are on the same team trying to help people realize that their life can be absolutely amazing. Cause yeah, isn't it amazing now? I love oh, my life right now. I, you know, I say this a lot, even on my worst day now where I'm struggling with my depression or anxiety, or whatever, my worst day is still better because I'm getting to choose my life. Yes. And there's just so many options now. You're not living a lie. I'm not living a lie. Even when I was living the lie, I didn't even know I was living a lie. And that in itself is like shackles. Absolutely. I would think any attempt to look like the perfect Mormon is living a lie, yeah. no matter what it is. Yeah, the perfect anything, the perfect yeah. mom, the perfect mm-hmm. PTA president, whatever it For is. For sure. One thing I love to say is, When you get to know someone, the more you're able to love them, right? Mm -hmm. And mindfulness allows us to really get to know ourselves, which really increases how much we can love ourselves. That's beautiful. I love that. That is so great. So I want to have you on again, and I want to talk more about mindfulness and how we can figure out what that is. It kind of sounds a little woo-woo, right? But how we can sort of explore that a little bit more and apply it to our lives in practical ways. Can we have you on again? I would love that. This has been awesome. Oh, my God. That just felt like high-pressure sales. That was so (laughs) great. (laughs) I'm shaking your hand, and I'm saying, so will you commit to being baptized (laughs) next Sunday at noon? (laughs) I'm triggering and I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, Elena, this has been fantastic. I am so glad that we got to meet you when we were in Phoenix in person and that you've been listening to us for a long time. I recognize your name from really when we first started out. I feel like we're, you know, old friends. And then hearing your story, which has basically happened in the last couple of years, it's like, Wow, you are incredible. So thank you for being who you are and wanting to share that with people. It's fascinating. It's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this podcast. I know you guys hear this all the time, but in my early days, I was living in my rental for the very first time and I was trying to figure out that plan, right? And I was in my own master bedroom for the first time in my own bathroom. It was amazing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was trying to figure out who the hell I was and to realize There are Mormon lesbians out there and they're moms and they're killing it. That was huge for me. I love that we could be part of that. I just want to hug. (laughs) You want to hug it out? I want to hug it out. (laughs) (laughs) Elena, come over. Let's hug it out. Okay. And then you want to go make out? Yep. Okay. Oh, with you. Now you're bragging. (laughs) (laughs) Christians at work. You're killing me. This is awesome. I love this. So everybody listening, check out Elena Joy Thurston on YouTube, her TEDx talk, How I Recovered from Conversion Therapy. It's really good. And check out her website at elenajoyexperience.com. Yeah, it's E-L-E-N-A, Elena Joy Experience. I feel like we should say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, but I'm not going to say it. (laughs) She just said it. Not going to do it. You're welcome, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Or you should probably say, and that's my TED Talk. That's probably the better place to say. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. (laughs) There it is. That's better than my closing, for sure. Well, what a great interview. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. Yeah, really like her. Should we take a little break before we get into some patrons? I would say yes. All right. Be right back. We're back. Mm-hmm. Hello. Now, hi, Mary. Do we want to do patrons first or our announcement first? Well, all right. These are our last five patrons that have signed up on Patreon. 
We understand that things are shitty right now with people's incomes and— Oh, yeah. The no, future's uncertain. People yeah. are freaked out about the economy. Totally right. get it. Some people are actually out of work. Mm-hmm, feel so mm-hmm. bad for those people. I know. So these are our very last five names to announce. Mm. Shall we announce our five patrons? We shall. Our we lucky last five. Them, uh, well, <laughs> hopefully not last forever five, but last on my list right now. Yes, yes. Okay. First patron, Natalie S. Natalie. Natalie S. <laughs> is actually from the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, right. Natalie. I believe we read her letter. We sure did. I yeah. think it's pretty recent. She also has joined us on channels. So nice. we got to know her very well, and she's yeah. good people. Good, good people. Channels is kind of filling in the gap for us right now that we yeah. don't get to run around and hug people. Um, <laughs> we get to at least talk with people. Yeah, we sure do. We have yep. really fun conversations daily. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some karaoke later today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Going mm-hmm. into my empty office to do some karaoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good time. So if you haven't joined Channels yet, it's not too late. Not too late. Nope. All right. Hey, thanks, Natalie. Next, Amelia S. Ooh, fun. Amelia. Amelia. I she like the last name, S. Stay healthy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. We're going to have a bunch of COVID-related names. Super. Amelia, stay healthy. We didn't give Natalie a last name. Well, it's also S, so that's oh. two stay healthies. And they're sisters. <laughs> Twins, actually. So twin sisters, Natalie and Amelia, stay healthy together. <laughs> or stay safe, double S. Oh, God. That so works, smart. too. I know, I know. Next, What's our next COVID name? Richard R. Okay. What's a good R name for covid Rapidly spreading. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry about that, Richard. Rapidly spreading. Oh, that could be taken no, more Richard than one way. Recovering. Oh, I like that better. Okay. Richard, recovering from rapidly spreading. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Patreon. Maybe this is why we're done to our last five. People are like, I'm not giving them my fucking name. Uh uh-uh. uh. Maybe. That makes sense. All right. Who else can Listen, we if this is the reason why people aren't signing up right now, will you please just like privately email me? and just be honest like yeah. for real I'll cry yeah. a little bit but just be honest <laughs> and just be like can you just say my name and not be weird <laughs> is that possible? Uh, I don't think it is okay next one we don't have to make it weird Holy Ling H-O-L-E-E-L-I-N-G and she is the listener from Singapore who had launched us to the number one on the Singapore charts oh wow thank you I for think that. you probably butchered her name oh for sure I did 100% <laughs> Matter tell fact, us how to pronounce that no 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 I'm going to pronounce it as many different ways as I can and oh. one of them will be correct <laughs> Ho-Li-Ling 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 okay. okay one of those is correct you think? Probably not, but I gave it a shot. Anyway, <laughs> thank us you. Out. Thank you for being a Singapore listener. Yeah, thank getting us you. number one in the charts there, baby. <laughs> you and all your friends. Thank you. Now we're actually charting in Ghana. I know. Yeah. Go know. Ghana. Yes, yeah, so Singapore, we're not the flavor of the month anymore, but for some reason in Ghana. Hmm. And Canada. To all our Ghana, how do you say that? Ghanaian? Ghanaian. Ghanaian. And Canadian listeners, thank you so much. Eh? Appreciate that. Thank you to. so much, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mom, I left my jacket at Fergie's house, eh? Well, there you go. You like that? Uh-huh. That's a very strange <laughs> brew of you. <laughs> okay, last. Lastly. Like the very last one the on my list. Very and I'm last. getting anxious and panicky because <laughs> You're <gonna> be okay. <laughs> it's, I, we might not have five to announce next week. Yeah, may not. <sighs> Totty. Totty? H. Totty, really? Totty. How do you spell that? T-O-T-T-I-E. Nice. What's a good H name? Totty. 
Uh, how about homebound? Yes, Tati, Tati homebound. homebound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could have done S for social distancing. Oh, we could have. There's quite a few. <laughs> so we have stay safe, homebound, and Richard recovering, recovering, mm-hmm. not rapidly spreading, recovering. <laughs> I might rapidly spread for you later. Oh <laughs> my! I'm not God. social distancing from you, baby. We are topless right now. I'm just gonna throw that out there. It is a little warm in studio it's right warm now, in the and we are topless. So picture that. <laughs> Although this is not a porn cast. No, it's so not. So we're clear. Yep. Okay, our other announcement. Here's the hard, cold facts, kids. Mm-hmm. People aren't listening to podcasts right now. Not as much because they're not commuting. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat. I used to listen to tons of podcasts on my way to and from work, and I'm not doing that either. Yep. So listenership is down, which means our advertising dollars are down. Our Patreon dollars are down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are going to start releasing one podcast a week. Instead of two, um, we have folks that we pay mm-hmm. to help us with podcasting and uh, after shows, and we have to cut back. Yeah, we're feeling um, the pinch like yep. the rest of the world probably. Yeah. Yeah, we have a couple of podcasts that will be paying us some money that we need desperately right now in this time of being stuck at home. So we have to put some energy into that to make ends meet. Yep. We are all in this together, people, but we promise that our once-a-week podcast for Latter-day Lesbian will be just as great as they have always been. They will include a letter, so no worries. Yeah, we'll still do Foom Pods. We'll fanny hopefully have Fanny on yeah. as much as she is able to do that. The other podcast project that Shelly's talking about is actually for UC Places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are going to talk about some tours. Yeah. Tours that people can't go on right now. <laughs> <laughs> tours that we have created that— uh-huh. We have taken that no one else can in this moment. <laughs> um, and it'll be our same fun uh, personalities, just with different We're kind of We're going to make it really boring. On uh, your left, uh, if you weren't stuck in your home. you see would... <laughs> places. <laughs> I wish, actually, there were even more tours ready to go for UC Places because people can actually get out in their hometowns. Mm-hmm. And let's say you're from, I don't know, Philadelphia. And there's places you haven't even gotten to see. Like I on actually freedom have created, trail. yeah. I know, that's why yes. I mention it. Yep. So it's the Freedom Trails in Boston, by oh. the way. Okay, let's say you're in Boston. There it is. <laughs> and you haven't done the Freedom Trail tour. Yep. Well, now you can. You yeah, know, there be, probably won't be very many people on that. And these are self guided tours. Yep. Just put on your earbuds, pop in those earbuds yep. and tour by yourself mm-hmm. or with a friend six feet away mm-hmm. and listen to Shelly's voice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. Rapity wrap. I want to thank Dan at Extension Audio for all his help. Thanks thank for leaving you, it in, Dan. Dan. Yes. And remember, the rest of you steer clear of cults because they are no joke. No joke at all. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later, everybody. Bye. Bye.